The Lord be with you. Psalm 121 again, just like our first class. We recall that the, the last verse of Psalm 121, uh, the Lord preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That, that's the psalm that we speak right before baptism in our liturgy. And now that we've had our first class together, which seems like a month ago, but it was just two Sundays ago, and we talked about how baptism is the, this, the vitae spiritualis janua, and it's the door to the spiritual life. And, and we talked about that image, that baptism is the door which places us in the life of God. And now we start to see why Psalm 121 is used right before a baptism. That in baptism, the Lord now will preserve your going in and your coming out from this time forth and forevermore. Right? Throughout all the life's ways, throughout all the doors of life, in the church, at home, on the road, out in nature, the baptized one now is preserved by the Lord. And so um, let's pray this psalm again, and then we'll jump into class. Does anyone have any prayer requests this morning? Let's pray. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Heavenly Father, it is by your grace alone that you would keep us, poor miserable sinners who do not deserve to be in your hands, and yet you reached down and you grabbed us out of the darkness and you brought us into your marvelous light. Continue to preserve us, O Lord, in all the ways that we go in and come out, trusting in you and looking to you, our helper, in every time of need the one who has overcome the grave and forgiven every sin and gives us new life and puts your spirit in our hearts to cause us to cry out to you, Abba, Father. We thank you, O Lord, for the gift of our baptism through which you made us your children and bestowed on us all the richness and gloriousness and blessings of your Son, Jesus Christ blessings of his death and his resurrection and his righteousness bestowed on us through such marvelous means. We cry out to you, Lord, for Bill and for Patty, for all who travel, that you would preserve them, O Lord, and your Son, Jesus Christ, sustaining their faith in you all the days of their life, that they may dwell in your house forever. We ask this in your son's most precious name. Amen. Okay, so this is class number two of a seven-week class on God's gift, the sacrament of holy baptism. And just a very quick recap of class number one. 
we talked about how baptism is vitae spiritualis janua. That baptism, this is the teaching of the church that baptism is the door to the spiritual life. Life of the spirit, janua, the door. And so we talked about how the door is um, separates two spheres. Here we are born into sin and death and darkness. But on the other side of the door is life and light and the spirit of God, the spiritual life, forgiveness. And so what makes the difference? Teaching in the church? Baptism. Baptism's the door of the spiritual life. And then we talked about one other phrase, gratia prima. That everything the church teaches is grace primary. Grace first. Everything is by God's grace. So, therefore, if baptism is the door and I am born here, there's nothing I can do to get through the door. I can't do it. I'm stuck in sin, death, and darkness. God, by his grace, has to pull me through the door. How does he do that? Through baptism. Baptism's the door of the spiritual life. Now, I didn't give you a chance to ask, but I know, I know you were thinking last two weeks ago, you were thinking the door. Jesus says, I am the door, right? That's what the scriptures say. So why is the church saying baptism's the door? Jesus is the one who says, I am the door. Well, that's very simple. Who are you baptized into? The door. <laughs> the door. You're baptized into Christ. And Paul says, and we'll get this when we talk about, uh, when we jump into the scriptures next week, uh, in Romans 6, don't you know that we who are baptized were baptized into his death? And if we've been buried with him in a death like his, certainly we'll be raised with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism is the thing which places you in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. Baptism is the door. It is placing you in Jesus. And so um, that's where we were two weeks ago. Any questions about that? I got a question. David, kind yeah. Kind of related to this. Sure. I know we're not, we can't know God's mind and judge like he does, but there are people I will assume that go to heaven that were baptized through grace. It would be through grace. You know, I mean, like, I th I'm thinking like the thief on the cross and stuff. I guess of the people before Jesus, they were all baptized back in the Old Testament, were they? I, I don't know. Right. So they were still, they're still saved by grace. Now, refusing to be baptized where you're refusing God's grace would be different, too. Yeah, you're drawing on a really good distinction there. So it's always grace alone. Now, the church talks... It may seem the church talks out of both sides of her mouth when we say, Jesus saves. Who saves? Jesus, Jesus saves. Everyone agree? Yep. Grace saves. Yep. What saves? Yep. Grace. Everyone agree? Well, which one is it? Faith saves. 
Everyone agree? Faith saves. Well, which one is it? The Word of God saves. Everyone agree? Does anyone disagree with that? You're not Lutheran. If you're not. <laughs> if you don't. The Word of God saves. Grace saves. Faith saves. Jesus saves. Baptism saves. Anyone disagree with that? Well, what does the Word of God say? Baptism now saves you. Well, which one is it, Lutheran? I want one answer. That's an answer. The scriptures give us Jesus, the word, faith, grace, baptism. It's all there. It's all the same thing. It's all the door. The problem is when you start to deny one of those things. Now we've got issues. Faith doesn't save. Works save. Uh, I'm nervous. <laughs> Jesus doesn't save. There's another way to the Father. Oops, yeah. Um, the word of God doesn't save. I have something better. God spoke to me in a dream. Baptism doesn't save. You don't need it. Whoa. There's a line. There's a distinction. And, and it can get murky trying to maintain all of it. But, and that's, we're going to unpack more of this today in the class. Yeah. Good question, though, Dave, uh, David. Rachel. Okay. Okay. Know why. Well, I do too, so go for it. Okay. Being dumb. Mm. Being dumb. Immersed. And John the Baptist was in the river and he dumb. Yes. But I've been baptized by the sprinkles and it's just as strong. Very good. We're going to talk about that very question in class today. The mode of baptism. Okay. And what matters in baptism is the word of God attached with the water. But I like, I like that you brought up John the Baptist's baptism because in the scriptures we are given the baptism of John in the Jordan River, which he says is a baptism of repentance. And Jesus undergoes that baptism, right? And he goes into the Jordan and he goes all the way into the water. And the Holy Spirit appears in the form of a dove and God speaks from the cloud. That is a different baptism from the baptism Jesus gives to his church at the Great Commission. These are two distinct baptisms. How do we know that? In Acts chapter 19, the apostles show up at a house, and they're talking about baptism, and they don't know about the Holy Spirit. And the disciples ask them, what kind of baptism are you talking about? And they say, John the Baptist's baptism. And the apostles say, that baptism isn't valid. You need Jesus' baptism. And right there on the spot, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's a difference, you see. So when Lutherans talk about baptism, John the Baptist's baptism is not where we go. That was at a time for repentance for the people of Israel. The baptism that we've been given is the one Jesus gave to his church. Does that help? Yes. And we look at Acts 19 for that. But we're going to talk about those things when we get to the scriptures. Bob? So, does baptism mean the same in every religion? No. Oh, no. We're going to talk about that today. Okay. Yeah. Because I get a little I get a little confused with that sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. You're telling me. I went to a Baptist university, majored in biblical studies for four years. This was a huge point of disagreement. Yep. Any others? Okay. Um... A word I wanted to 
talk about before we launch into the lesson today. Another Latin word, traditor. Traditor. We get two English words from this Latin word, traditor. Anyone want to take a guess as to what English word we get, Brian? Tradition. Tradition. Yes, tradition. Anyone want to take a guess at the second one? Traitor. From the same word, we get tradition and traitor. Traditor means to hand over, to pass down. The question is not if you're going to hand over something. The question is, fathers, what you're going to hand down, what you're going to pass over. You're either going to hand down, traditor, what Jesus himself gave, or you're going to hand over something else. What does Judas do? He's a traitor. He hands Jesus over to the authorities. What do the other disciples do? They're receiving from him the tradition. In Greek, it's paradidomi, to, to, to give a gift over, to hand over something. That, that the church has received this teaching from Jesus, and we simply are passing it down to the next generation. Now, in your home, father and mothers, you are doing the same thing. As your, as your children grow up, you're always in these places where you're either going to hand on to them what the church has handed on to you, what Christ has given to the church, or you're going to give them something different. You can't avoid it. The question is, what are you going to give them? Are you going to be faithful and give them what Christ calls you to give them, or are you going to hand over something else? Anything other than Christ is a traitor. But what Christ gives us is faithful. So with that said, when we, when we look at baptism, the question is, is what has the church handed down to us? The teaching of the apostles. And, and then also, where have we gone awry? Where have things been handed down that were not of Christ? So in the church, we see essentially three different ways of thinking about baptism. Three different teachings. The first way is that baptism is something that man does to show God something. It's man's work of obedience. It's something you're supposed to do. You need to make the decision. And it's your act of obedience on the part of the believer to show God, I love you. This is the teaching of, and I'm going to clarify this, most Baptists. Most Baptists and non-denominational Christians today teach this. Um, I'll come back to that. This is one teaching of baptism. On the other hand, you have the teaching that baptism is actually the opposite. 
It's something that God gives to man. It is God's work. It's the work of Christ. It's a gift given to man. Um, and the man simply receives it as a gift. So in here, on this side, we have it's man's work, 100% man's work, just his, his action. He's showing God something. Over here, we have it's 100% God's work, where he gives man the gifts, brings them through the door. Now you are baptized. Then we have this kind of murky middle, where it's kind of both. It, um, God does give gifts, and he is working through baptism, but it's still on you. It's still dependent on you to, to work out this grace through love, showing good works, and, and, and it's kind of a 50-50 sort of thing. Or it, for our purposes, it doesn't matter if it's 99 and 1. It's still dependent on you in some way. Which one of these is Lutheranism? We go all the way. Baptism is entirely God's gift. Who, who teaches this? Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics. That's where I would put them as well. So, um, to illustrate this, uh, I'm really good friends with the Catholic priest here in town, Father Toronto. And if, if you've ever been around Father Toronto, I, I give you a challenge. If you can be around him for one minute and not laugh, you win. Because he's just, he's a funny guy. And we, and we banter back and forth quite a bit. And we were talking one time. Now, it's important, it's important for you to know, for, this, for you to get this story, that I was baptized in a Catholic church. When, December 27, 1987. I was baptized in a Roman Catholic church. So now I'm talking to a Roman Catholic priest. And we're talking about salvation, which is always fun. And he says to me, we're out in the parking lot, he says, you know what Jesus is going to say to us on the last day? I said, what? I'll play along. He goes, he's going to say, see my wounds? You see my, see my wound right here? See my wounds in my feet? You see my brow? And all that I suffered for you? Show me yours. I said, huh. Okay, and I gave him Luther's answer. I said, I think I'm just going to show him my baptismal certificate. <laughs> he says to me, you think that's going to get you in? To which I said, did you do it wrong? <laughs> I was baptized in a Roman Catholic church. And there's the difference. Where is he pointing for salvation? What did you do? Show me your suffering. Those who suffer, those who love him, those are the ones who get in. Where am I pointing him? Christ suffering for me. That's right. His wounds were given to me 
in baptism. But how would they know if they suffered or not? That's right. That's why they have purgatory. Yes. So Lutherans, we go all the way. Now this, this impacts so much to our way of thinking. You go back to the door. This way of thinking says, you know what? You're kind of sick. You're a little bit sick, and you need a little bit of grace, and then with that grace, it will help you get better. What are we saying? You're not a little bit sick. You're completely dead. You can't go through the door. You can't do it. It's not on you. There's no way you can, but God saved me. He reached down, and he pulled me up, and he saved me by his grace. You're completely dead. God did all the work. You're a little bit sick, but God helps you. How about me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. I'll do this. Here I go. We're just going completely different worldviews here. I want to read to you uh, from the Baptist Confessions of Faith. Now, I'm going to highlight this because we need to look at Luther. But when we talk about baptism, we talk about it being a sacrament and a means of grace through which God gives us the grace of Christ. 400 years ago, Baptists talked that way too. Uh, this is from their Waterland Confession in uh, 1580. Jesus Christ instituted in his church two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are external actions of the goodness of God towards us, which places before our eyes on the part of God the, in, the internal and spiritual action that God accomplishes in us through Christ by regenerating and justifying and spiritually nourishing us and sustaining the souls which repent and believe. Hey, sounds pretty good. 400 years later, Southern Baptist Convention... Baptism is an immersion of a believer in an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith and a crucified, buried, and risen Lord. It's a testimony to your faith and the resurrection of the dead. It is a church ordinance and a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership into the Lord's Supper. It's not the same teaching. What got passed down in between those 400 years? What happened? For faithful teaching, let's look at Luther's small catechism. So Luther starts, he starts uh, kind of back just in very simple terms, right? Because he's writing this for the head of the house to teach their, their children at home. And the, and the question that children always are asking, what is this? What is that? What does this mean? So he writes, what is baptism? He says, baptism is not just plain water. It's the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So baptism's got two things. You've got to have water, and you have to have God's word. Water by itself is just water, but when you add God's word to it, it's a baptism. Now the, the question then becomes, well, what's the word of God that, that needs to be added to it? That's the next question. What is that word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So do Lutherans care about the mode of baptism, how much water is used? No. Oh, immersion? Wonderful sign that you're completely being 
drowned and buried in the death of Christ and being raised back up in new life. But is that what makes a baptism a baptism? The amount of water? No. What makes baptism a baptism? The word of God with that water. And when that word of God is attached to the water, it is a baptism. Now, the next question is, and this is key. I mean, this is absolutely fundamental to the teaching of the church. Does that baptism do anything? Does it give you any benefit? That's the next question, right? What benefits does baptism give? <laughs> Where's Luther going to land on this? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. What are these words and promises? Mark 16, 16. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luther, Luther's placing baptism all the way in the spiritual life of God. Through baptism, your sins are forgiven. You become a child of God. He gives all these benefits through this. Why do you believe that? Well, Mark 16, 16 says so. Yes, and what's the next point? What's the next part in the catechism? How can, how can all that happen? How can water do such a great thing in your life? How is that even possible? It's not the water. It's that word of God in the water. The same word that by speaking it created all of creation. The same word that when Jesus sees a paralyzed man on a mat and says to him, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go home. That word of God accomplishes that which he speaks. And so... Luther writes, it's not the water, it's the word of God in and with the water that does these things, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is, a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Pause there. Which one of these ideas, we're talking about our theological framework, which one of these lines up with the idea that God saved us <coughs> through the washing of rebirth? God didn't halfway save us. God doesn't not save us. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generous, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, still grace alone, gratia prima, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. Titus 3, 5 through 8. He goes on to say, well, is there any indication, any symbolism in baptism? You betcha, scripture talks about it this way. What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And where is this written? Well, St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, so I promised that I would bring in a Baptist voice. I found, uh, this is a Baptist um, pastor who is going to make an argument that I, that I love until the very end, and you'll catch the, the difference. But the reason why I write that most Baptists believe this is because uh, some don't. And this man's name is, um, let me get this fired up. This is a pastor in California. He's got his PhD, Pastor Ortland, And him and a Lutheran pastor, Pastor Cooper, they've been going back and forth on YouTube debating about baptism. And it's just fun to watch. Uh, Bob, can you hold it? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm going to play just a minute of his articulation of what baptism is so you can hear a historic, he's going to say a historic Baptist position. So he's going back 400 years. And I love a lot of the things he says. Oh. Here. Clarify, what do I think baptism does? What just, you know, so my view is not ambiguous. And my view is, is similar to a historic Baptist view. Believe it or not, the contemporary credo Baptist options are actually way thinned out compared to historic Baptist views. Historically, Baptists called baptism a sacrament, but uh, they spoke of it as a means of grace and so forth. So I could just say um, there's two, two headings I might put on to what I think baptism is. First of all, it is not something we primarily do. It is something God is at work in. That's a profound mystery. Um, it is, I'm happy to call it a sacrament, not just an ordinance, as historic Baptists have. It's a means of grace. So God is definitely bestowing grace, not only on the baptizant, but on everyone observing. It's for the whole Christian community. Um, I would say that if, if we say, well, what kind of grace? I would say we can make one distinction between the grace by which we initially become uh, partakers of Christ, and on the other hand, the grace by which we are sustained and strengthened and nourished in our faith in Christ. And I would put baptism in the latter category. Oh, I think I'm putting it yeah, see, that's the difference. Everything he was saying, spot on, except you catch it. He said it's primarily God's work, so he's still a little bit here. But he says, now, is it the grace that initiates or begins, or is it the grace which sustains? Is it something on the other side of the door, or is it the thing that actually gets us through the door? Where does he put it? The thing that sustains. Where would Lutherans put it? Where does the church put it? It's that which initiates. What sustains us is the Lord's Supper. That's the sacrament that sustains. If baptism is what sustains, well, then you should probably do that a lot. You see? But if it's just the thing that creates you as a child of God, then how many times do you need to do it? One time. This is why Luther writes vigorously against those who would baptize themselves again because you're mocking the gift of God. You're saying to him that his work didn't work. And it was at this point in the class that my microphone decided to stop working. So um, sorry that you are getting this 
recording after the fact rather than the last five minutes of the class. Um, the only thing that kind of was brought up at the last part of the class was, well, there were two questions. One, there was a question from the class on if baptism is, um, if, if you're baptized in a different church, do you have to be rebaptized in the Lutheran church? And the, the answer is um, a, a definitive no. Um, that that if baptism is God's work, then it doesn't matter if you were baptized in the Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church or a Methodist church or a non-denominational church. It's God's work, so it's one baptism. So therefore, when you join the Lutheran church, we do not, in fact, it would be against the tradition of the apostles to have you baptized again. Baptism cannot be redone it's God's work. Does God need to redo his work? No. Now, if baptism is man's work, then baptism is often redone in churches that teach this. So that's why there's confusion here. Because if you are baptized in the Lutheran church and you decide to join the Baptist church, then then it's typical, in fact, and it's expected that you would have to be baptized again to be a member in the Baptist church because they elevate man's uh, um man's ability or man's work in these things but but not so for the lutheran church not so for the teaching of the church um your bapt your first baptism took <laughs> that's what i like to tell people um and, and it and it did work for you because it's god's gift the other question that was raised in the class which is worth noting before i wrap up here was that i had um, a person point back to the catechism and just in 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 attempt to make a distinction between baptism and faith. And essentially behind the question, I believe, was this idea that baptism is not efficacious without without you believing it. Um, and therefore, th this, of course, is an Anabaptist argument that, that it's not the Word of God that makes baptism efficacious, but in fact, you have to add something to it. And so in a sense, the power of baptism is found in you, and God's work in baptism is dependent on you. So he's he's like he has all the of this to give you, but it's not yours until you do something. And so um, so we talked about that a little bit, and I just pointed back to the three different drawings on the board that that the same thing that we say about baptism can also be said about faith. So faith is either a work of man or it's a work of God, or it's like this in-between work where it's part God, part man, 50-50 stuff. And um, Lutherans are consistent in our teaching that faith is gratia prima. prima. It's, it's by grace alone. So the faith comes from God alone. It's 100% God's work. So Lutherans have no, no problem saying that faith is the work of God alone. It's a divine work. It is not the work of man. And um, so I, I'd like to finish with this quote I found very helpful helpful from Martin Luther. And, um, and then I will try my best to keep my microphones working properly in the next class, which will take place this Sunday. But, but here's a quote from Luther. He says, God has assuredly promised his grace to the humble, that is, to those who lament and despair of themselves. But no man can be thoroughly humbled 
until he knows that his salvation is utterly beyond his own powers, devices, endeavors, will, and works, and depends entirely on the choice, will, and work of another, namely of God alone. For as long as man is persuaded that he himself can do even the least thing toward his salvation, he will retain some self-confidence and does not altogether despair of himself, and therefore he is not humble before God, but presumes that there is, or at least hopes or desires that there may be, some place, some time, and work for him by which he may at length attain to his salvation. But when a man has no doubt that everything depends on the will of God, then he completely despairs of himself and chooses nothing for himself, but waits for God to work. Then he has come close to grace and can be saved. I found that extremely beautiful because it points to the salvation is God's work. It's not your work. It's not my work. It's not the work of any man. If it were, we would never be assured that we are saved. Salvation. Well, that's God's doing. And thanks be to God that he has won it so for you in Jesus Christ, your Savior, who did all the work for you, labored, lived the perfect life, gave up his life as a perfect sacrifice, atoned for the sins, your sins, of the whole world, and whom God raised from the dead. This wonderful working of God's majesty and power and glory in Jesus Christ for you. This is why Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. See, it's when... It's when the believer sees that their work and their labors that make us heavy laden and burdened, they never get you through the door. They will never completely satisfy the soul or the heart. They will not provide rest. The only one that can give rest is Jesus. It's his work and his labor on your behalf that you, dear Christian, can rest in. Until next week, when we dive into the scriptures on baptism, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen.